Oh, we got way. One of the questions I hate the most, and I'm sure you feel the same, is what took you so long? Oh, my God. Yes, I hate that, right? I feel like we're so impatient so many times. And also, we're just really judgy. Yeah, and there's really no timeline for a lot of things. Like, unless you're a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, it's like things can happen any way that they unfold. Yes, exactly. So when people are like, oh, why didn't you get married sooner? Or why didn't you get that promotion? Or my most favorite, right? Why didn't you report sooner? Mm -hmm. It's just like there's all these answers out there. And I think we're going to be exploring one of many, unfortunately, today. Because you hear all these stories of other women who've had this happen to them. And you hear what happens afterwards. And you're like, I don't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had no, I felt like I had no choice. I could either suffer in silence or suffer in, like, you know, say, hey, this guy did something. That's Rachel. Rachel's raped while serving in the Air Force. She reported her assailant, but instead of getting the support she needed, she was completely betrayed. And that feeling is just as crushing as the initial trauma a lot of times. Imagine this. For the last few weeks, you've been feeling like you're underwater. You haven't been sleeping much or eating very well. You can't make yourself concentrate, especially when he's around. He woke you up a few weeks ago, banging on your door at 5.30. You're groggy, naked, and alone in your bed. He said he forgot his watch in your bedroom, which you don't remember inviting him into. He said you got sick the night before and he was taking care of you, but you definitely don't remember any of that either. But you do remember deciding to report him and every conversation with the investigators. But you aren't sure when the dirty looks and whispers behind your back started in your unit. You thought that that first mark on your employee record was a mistake. It just had to be. But when you asked your boss, you remember what he said. You know what you did. Yeah, sure did, motherfucker. I told the truth. From Wondery, I'm Wagatoy Wanjuki. I'm Jenna Brister, and this is I Survivor. This is the show about the attacks, the assaults, the manipulation, the fear, and the triumphs about the people who fought back, who won, and who spend each day rising above the trauma of that experience. Today, we're talking to Rachel. She didn't want to seize her last name. Rachel was assaulted when she was in the Air Force. She reported the assault, but not only did they fail to support her, they turned on her. And Mugatwe, I feel like an awful lot of our conversations on this show do go back to institutional betrayal. So why do you think that is? I think it's because we betray each other in our day-to-day lives. And unfortunately, when people are in institutions, they're going to do the same thing. It's just easier to protect the status quo than to stand up and do something. And I think institutions have it easy in that way that they just hide behind this huge facade because they don't see the people coming forward as individuals. And they're more worried about protecting their own reputation than... uh, is finding any sort of truth. Yeah, and that's why you see organizations breaking the law or their own policies, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really sad that it's the military in this case because, you know, I love to support them troops, but then if they have policies that don't protect the troops also, it's a massive gray area. And the Air Force had a sexual assault policy that had just been put in place and still nothing happened when she reported it. Yeah, 
We talked to Rachel about how hard it is to report an assault, even when there's a policy in place. We talked to her about how she found healing on the open seas. Then Rachel's been living at sea on her boat, Coconut, for the last seven years with her two dogs. On a trip to shore to buy supplies, we invited her to share her story at the Wondery Studios. All right. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us in the studio, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And so you, your story goes all the way back to, I guess, what, like 10 or 15 years ago when you enlisted in the Air Force. We actually grew up in the same hometown or nearby. Nearby. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so neat in south of Seattle, which is very cool. And so did you graduate from high school and enlist in the Air Force or how did that all go down? So I waited a couple of years. Um, I wasn't ready to go to college. I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I gave myself a year to figure out a plan. I got nowhere. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go into the military. (laughs) So I had just happened to meet people from every branch, and it just kept coming up. And so I thought, okay, well, I mean, I can get out of Seattle, which was kind of my main goal. And then worse comes to worse, then I can go to college Mm -hmm. if it doesn't work out. So that's how I ended up in the Air Force. Yeah. And the Air Force had the most number of women in it. Well, that's what that's what I was told. Oh, okay. Yeah, just because it's um, kind of behind the scenes. It's not like the Army's infantry and the Marines is like out on the front lines and the Air Force is kind of behind the scenes. And so I think more women tend to go into the Air Force. Do you come from a military family? No. No. Oh, so no. you were the first one in your whole <laughs> yeah. family to... Yeah. Yeah, were they excited? And I mean, that's also major respect to anyone yeah. who, you know, you. serves. So thank you for doing that. And so what would your family think when you enlisted? Um, I think they were excited for me to do something, you know, different. My sister had gone to college, and she was the first to go to college. And so I felt like I needed to do something, but I just didn't know what. And so I was like, well, I'll just give this a shot and see see how it goes. Yeah. Only 2% of the Air Force flies. Everything else is to support the pilots. Um, so I did medical logistics. Mm-hmm. So I kept the hospital stocked with everything that they needed. Which is important. Yes. Is, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. That's huge. That, yeah. yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, so, take us back to where your story begins. Then. So I um, I went to tech school, and um, after that, I got assigned to go to England. So I was in England for two years, which I loved. Did a lot of traveling. So then you arrive in England, and was that like what they call basic training, or what was that program? Um, so basic training is uh, when you leave home and you've like signed all your paperwork and everything, you go to um, San Antonio, Texas, and that's where the basic training is. And you're there for six weeks. Um, and then from there, you go to your tech school. Okay. So there's tech schools on different bases. So depending on what job you signed up for, you'll go to whatever base is going to train you. Wow. And then you stay there until you get your orders. So it's at tech school. That's when you find out, like, okay, I've done my classes. Where am I going? Mm-hmm. It's basic training like it is in the movies. Like, up at dawn, marching yeah. around. Okay. Yes. Okay. It was pretty, um, it was pretty grueling. <laughs> yeah. That- so, yeah, but then once you, uh, once you finish tech school, that's when you go to your duty assignment. So once you're at your duty assignment, you're just doing your job. Okay. And where in England? It's a really big base. Um, it's called Lake and Heath. It was in a little pig farming town. Um, so it was really charming, even though sometimes it stunk really bad. But, um, yeah, it was a town that was like an hour uh, north of London and like 45 minutes away from Cambridge. Ooh. So, yeah. Nice yeah, there wasn't a whole lot going on in the town, but it was close to a lot of really awesome stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
and that was the community that was really everyone was really open and yeah. fun. Like, did you have any like really close friends there? Yeah, okay. I got to be in uh, one of my coworkers' weddings. It was her uh, her bridesmaids. Yeah, and um, and they're you know they've got two little kids now, and it's um, super adorable. So uh, yeah, all the all the friends that I made there, I still talk to. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we were all just really supportive, and uh, it was and a great. That was a great experience. Yeah. A great work, yeah, great work environment. That yeah. made so compared to the base in England. That's probably what grass, cobblestones, cute yeah. English stuff. It's very, you know, kind of like Seattle, like very green yeah. and just um, kind of overcast a lot. Um, and then when it was time to get my next assignment, I had uh, three bases. There were Florida, D.C., and Vegas, and Vegas was the one base that I did not want to go to. But still, the everyone's just very vibrant and bubbly, and they're just very quirky and charming. Mm-hmm. Was um, it shocking then to arrive in yeah. Las Vegas? Everything was just different. I can't say the base was bad, but outside the base was horrible. Um, prostitutes, drugs, just like in your face. Um, so classic Vegas. Yeah, yeah, it's really dirty. Right. And actually, when I was in England, I was taking a math class, and one of my classmates was from Vegas, and so she was kind of giving me the rundown of, you know, I was looking for apartments and stuff, and um, and I was like, look, this one's nice. It's gated. And she's like, that doesn't mean anything. It yeah. just means it's going to be harder for the cops to get in. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> interesting spin. Yeah. But it's good to have a local. So, right. So it was just so different. Like, everything was dead to me. It was just dusty and all open. Like, there was just, like, to me, it was just, like, nothing... There was nothing to, pretty to look at, um, and I'm not a big drinker. I'm not a gambler. Um, it was just all like my first couple weeks there. I'm like, this is not for me. Like I just, I was not feeling it at all. Yeah, not the lifestyle that you no. wanted. Right. No. No wonder it was your last choice. It was definitely weird because people spoke in acronyms, and I had no idea what any of these acronyms mean. Oh my god! I'm like, wait, what? And you know, people would have to explain this stuff. And like, didn't you know? And like, no, none of my family is in the military, so I felt like immediately like kind of an outsider because I just didn't know what any of this stuff meant. Because I had a shorthand, yeah, ways that it could unfold. So you're there for the first couple weeks, and what's life like for you on the base? So when you move bases, there's just. Like, when you leave the base, there's all this out-processing stuff you have to do. You have to tell everybody, I'm leaving. (laughs) You have to go to this office, sign this paper, go to this office, sign this paper. So you do that for, like, two months. And then when you get to a base, you have to do the same thing. I'm here. Here I am. You know, just, like, let every agency know that you're there. Like, you meet your coworkers and stuff. But we had gotten there, like, within a couple days of each other, I think. I don't really remember meeting him the first time, but I just know that he was a new co-worker and I was like oh you must have been because they had two spots open for Las Vegas so I was like oh you must have been the other person <laughs> oh yeah the <laughs> new person that there. yeah okay. right yeah. that makes yeah. sense it's interesting because when I went in I was 20 so most of the kids that go into the military they're like 17, 18 so they're just like ready to party and I'd already gotten that out of my system <laughs> so I was like you know not interested in like the dorm parties and the road like you know drinking yeah. and all that stuff so I was just kind of over that Uh, Which made it a little bit difficult to find friends because I really did want to travel. And a lot of people just, they really only wanted to get drunk on base, which is not what I was interested in. It was hard to come up with excuses. So I actually, um, they had a program where you could volunteer to pick up people on the weekends that were drunk. And so that was my excuse. Like, I'd go to parties and be like, oh, I can't drink. You know, I got to, you know, I'd just wait for, like, somebody to let me know, like, oh, I can't drive home. And so I'd pick them up. And so I did that for, like, I don't know, a year just to... You know, be social, but not get drunk and feel like I was doing something good. Yeah, you definitely were. Yeah. Okay, so you're you're doing that. And then 
Um, what is the work keeping you really busy or do you have much time off? Yeah, the job, I, I chose the job because it wasn't very demanding. Like, I didn't want to work 12 hours a day. I wanted to, like, at least be able to take night classes if I wanted to, which I started doing almost immediately. Um, so work was just from, like, 7 to 4, and then I would take night classes, and I had time to volunteer. Uh, so I was actually pretty busy, mm-hmm. which um, which was good. It felt, it felt nice to be busy. Yeah, so I think um, it was already difficult transitioning from being in England to being in Las Vegas because in England— um, even though it's not that different culturally, everybody was just really supportive of each other. So there was a lot of camaraderie. Um, you know, if you asked your coworker to do something, they would do it. Um, and in, in Vegas, it was just so different. Like, nobody really cared. Nobody wanted to be there. Um, you couldn't really trust anybody to do anything. They actually got, the year that I was there, they got the worst score in the Air Force as far as, like, their inventory, and nobody really cared. They are just kind of like, ah, you know, just shrugged it off. And if that had happened in England, oh, my God, it would have, I mean, people would have gotten in trouble for sure, which they should have. But um, so that that off the bat was really difficult. I just felt kind of like, oh, gosh, <laughs> it's going to be really difficult to to finish out my, like, two years here. Um, and then one of my coworkers, he, um, his room was four doors down from mine. And I'd been there three weeks, and I hadn't been out yet. And so he said, hey, my friends are going down to the Strip if you want to meet us. Um, you know, we can go down together or whatever. And so I said, sure, you know. Started getting ready. I think it was like a Friday night. And then um, so my my roommate had given us a ride down to the Strip. And I was all excited, like, okay, I'm, you know, 21. Now I can drink. And, yeah. you know, um, I was excited just to be social and meet people. And nobody was there. Like, his friends, like, weren't there. And it was just us. And it was, um, I was uncomfortable because I didn't want him to think that we were on a date or anything like that. He just seemed to think that he was like the machoist guy around, you know. And he was was one of those guys, like my first impression of him was that he was a little slow, not the sharpest tool in the shed, and just not my kind of, you know, not somebody I'd want to like hang out with long term. But I was just trying to be friendly and like it, it doesn't hurt to have... You know, friends. friends with coworkers. You know, right. Um, so yeah, my first impression was not. Uh, I was not terribly impressed with him. And so I saw these women at the other side of the bar. So I just started talking to them. Like I just, you know, he was ordering us drinks, and I think he got us a shot and then like a margarita maybe. Um, and at some point, like around 11 p.m., I went to the bathroom, and that's that's the last thing I remember. Yeah. I don't remember anything. Yeah. After that. Yeah. Until like 5.30 p.m. the next day. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you were out for a long time. A very long time. Yeah. Did you um, have a feeling that it was maybe like you were drugged or what What was your gut feeling when you woke up and it was like the next evening? I was so confused. I mean, I woke up because someone was pounding on my door and I was just, I was really disoriented. I was in my room. I was naked and I'm just kind of like, wait, what? You know, like trying to piece together what had happened. And it, I mean, it was for several hours, I was just very disoriented. I just had no idea what had happened, like, at all. And I was just, you know, trying to find any kind of memory or recollection. And, like, I was looking through my wallet, like, you know, did I buy something? Like, well, I didn't have any bruises. So, I mean, that was, obviously, I was not, like, sloppy drunk or anything, but it was just really odd. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just very... Very confused. I didn't want to outright say he drugged me because I didn't know. Yeah. And I didn't know what it was like to be drugged. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just very disorienting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was nowhere to be. He was the one knocking on my door. He was. Because okay. he had left his watch in my room. 
and, I, and it was just like so like I, I wasn't able to get up to the door in time and so when I finally got some clothes on I kind of went outside and he he was saying oh I left my my watch in your room and I was just kind of like oh you did <laughs> it, yeah. it was just kind of like why, why is your watch in my room and you know um trying to piece it all together right right um, yeah. Did he give any, like, reason why his watch was in there? Or what was, like, his behavior towards you? Was it... He seemed really proud of himself. He he kind of came off to me as the type of guy who was just really trying to impress the dudes. You know, like, he just was kind of a meathead. He, he liked lifting weights and just talking about how tough he was. And it seemed like he was just always trying to impress his male friends. And he just seemed really proud of himself. Which was just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah, it was just so, so confusing. So confusing. So cool story. My name is Wagatwe. <laughs> I love your name. It's so pretty. Aw, thank you. It means leader. And I'm named Thanks. after my grandmother, actually. It's a tradition in my father's tribe, the Kikuyu tribe, to name your children after an elder in the family. That's so cool. There's a um, tradition in Euromuts that they name you after a soap opera star from the hit show Dallas. Ah. That's where I got my name, Priscilla Presley. But <laughs> my family has its lore, but I don't really know much about their history. I know that my last name is English, and I don't know if we're from Wales specifically or somewhere totally different. So I'm half Kenyan and I'm half Bahamian. I've got a really interesting family history, but I've always wanted to know more detail. I'm actually going to Kenya in a couple of weeks, which I'm super excited for. So it'll be really cool to see the places like where some of my ancestors have lived or passed through, you know, right there. That's so cool. And we'll both be finding out a lot more about ourselves and our families thanks to our partnership with Ancestry DNA. I just set my kit back so I can finally get down to the bottom of this question. What kind of Euromut am I? Yes, I'm really excited to find out my results because Ancestry DNA has two times more geographic detail than any other DNA test. So they're the number one selling DNA test, and I'm really stoked to see what they uncover. Jenna, we should probably break this down a bit because it might be really sciencey and confusing and we don't want to scare our audience. Exactly. So to do it, you just salivate in this little tube. You don't have to like cut off a chunk of hair or mail in blood or anything like that. It's just a little bit of saliva. You mail it to their lab. And I do think it's really important to figure out who and where you come from because it's fun to be informed in that way and to kind of see where you came from. And this is such an easy way to get a more complete story of you. Exactly. And here at iSurvivor, we're all about delving into our individual stories so we can better understand society's collective story. So Ancestry DNA is kind of perfect for us. It totally is. And I didn't know this, but apparently Ancestry DNA can even reveal your recent ancestors' migrations. So you can totally check to see if you visited some of their birthplaces in Kenya once you get your results back. For a limited time, you can all get an Ancestry DNA kit for just $59. And come on, the holiday season is rapidly approaching, so why not get your friends and family a gift that they will actually use? Totally. that will be such a cool stocking stuffer. And it's only $59. So get the perfect gift for the perfect price at Ancestry.com slash Survivor. Once again, that's Ancestry.com slash Survivor. So I'm leaving for Kenya in about a month, as you know. I've been spending a lot of time packing up around the house, so Blinkist has been a godsend. And you can use it on the plane instead of lugging a bunch of books. Yes. Absolutely. And you know I also love Blinkist because it's the only app that takes thousands of best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to the most impactful elements. So you can listen or read in just 15 minutes on your phone. 
I really love it because my reading list is like a mile long. All my friends are like having new books coming out. And I'm like, I love you, but stop. So Blinkist has been perfect for me. I can check off some titles and expand my knowledge or catch up on my friend's book. I can do that instead of mindlessly scrolling social media or whatever, you know. Totally. It's such a better way to spend your time, you know, those little pockets of time. And the Blinkist library has everything from timeless classics like Think and Go Rich to current bestsellers like You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Or the one I just heard, The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf. It's such a powerful listen. And they're constantly curating and adding new titles. So you're always getting the most insightful ideas in these bite-sized, made-for-mobile format. And for a limited time, our listeners can get a free seven-day trial by visiting Blinkist.com Survivor. Get a free seven-day trial and support the show at Blinkist.com Survivor. It's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Survivor. You're back on the base mm-hmm. then. And then yeah. what did you do next? Um, it took about a month for me to report it because I just found that um, since he was a coworker and I had to see him all the time, I'm like, God, this is going to be really tough. Like, how am I going to work with this guy for two years? We'd gotten to the base at the same time. So he wasn't going to leave any earlier than I was. Yeah. That's scary. You're very brave. Yeah. It's really hard. And a lot to, of this, like, sure. I've never actually said out loud. So yeah. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. But um, well, thank you for sharing that with us because that's something that's the worst when people are like, oh, why didn't you report it? And you're like, yeah, there are a million (laughs) reasons why people don't, why a lot of, uh, you know, people we talk to and a lot of our listeners, you know, it's, it's not easy to. And so I, that's very brave. Just hearing like, cause you hear all these stories of other women who've had this happen to them and you hear what happens afterwards and you're like, I don't want to go through that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had no, I felt like I had no choice. I could either suffer in silence or suffer in like, you know, say, hey, this guy did something that he really shouldn't have done, and you guys should do something. And this was right after uh, the Air Force Academy had um, some kind of scandal with sexual abuse, and so they had reformatted their procedures for um, taking care of sexual assault. And so it was kind of like the guinea pig case. Like, it seemed like they were really excited, and they're like, we're going to put this guy in jail and all this stuff. And I was like, Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess. I mean, I didn't really know how the process worked or anything like that. Um, so when you first went forward, what was that initial meeting like? You know, who did you end up talking to there? I talked to a sexual assault response coordinator. Okay. And she was the one who was like, we're going to put him in jail and everything like that. But she didn't seem to understand the legality okay. of everything. Like, you can't just say we're going to put him in jail, you know, like... She didn't know any of the evidence or anything about the case. Yeah. So you can't just outright say that. Um, So I think it kind of gave me a false hope that something was going to happen to him. Kind of what had happened early on was everybody just wrote me off as a drunk woman who was, like, claiming that, oh, she slept with this guy and she doesn't remember it. And now she's really embarrassed. And so she's got to, like, drag this guy's name through the mud. Um, And she... We, I only talked to her twice that I remember about this. And the second time, I was like, I don't want to see you ever again. Because she was like, this is your fault. You need to be in control when you're drinking. And I was just so confused. I was like, wait, I've never, like, I've blacked out before. Like, that's, you know, uh, like when you're yeah. in your early 20s, that's common. Um, but I'd never been unconscious for 18 hours. Like, usually yeah. it's like a couple hours or something like that. And so, and I just couldn't wrap my head around, like, her, where she was coming from. of Like, how this was my fault. Mm-hmm. So early on, everybody just wrote me off as like, oh, a drunk girl that just did something that she's embarrassed about. and That is so messed up. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it was hard because I didn't have proof. You know, I didn't know what he'd 
you know, and everyone just wants proof because you're, you know, and you're like, what happened happened, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's you're right. It's not usual to just have a couple drinks and then wake up the next night. So something did happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, that's really disheartening. So no was did anyone see the truth of what you were saying? There was one woman who was an officer. Um, So as you can imagine, it was really difficult to live four doors down from him. (laughs) And nobody would let me move off base. Um, they just kept telling me to suck it up. And I'm just kind of like, well, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, basically, I don't see why I should have to do this. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was just a, it was a long process of getting off base. But in that time that they wouldn't let me, there was one officer in my um, command. That she had just come. She'd actually switched over from the Army. I didn't know you could do that, but she is really smart and well-spoken. And so um, somehow she managed to do that. And she, um, I, I don't know why, but she was driving me somewhere, and I just told her, like, God, this is really difficult, because I had people, the um, sexual assault response coordinator had assigned a volunteer to walk me through some stuff, and I didn't know this woman. It was glad, I mean, it was nice that she was doing this, but it was kind of hard to tell her what I was struggling with, because I'm like, I feel just weird telling a complete stranger, like, you know, I had a nightmare last night or something. So, um... I told the officer um, what had happened and her first words were, I believe you, I believe you. And so she had to, because she had just switched over, she had to go to officer training school. So she let me house it for six months, which was so nice. Like she was, she was my saving grace. So she was the only person in the entire unit that had any ounce of support for me. Mm -hmm. So, um, and by the time uh, she came back, um, I, I just kept fighting to, like, move off base, and they kept resisting and wouldn't let me. And and did um, you see him then? I oh, guess, yeah. 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 I mean... Did you try to avoid him as much as you could? Yeah. But it's obviously hard. He's your neighbor. Right. So um, there was one... Because I was um, ordering supplies, and a lot of the companies we had to call were on the East Coast. I came in at 6 in the morning and left at 2.30, and then he would come in at 2.30, and then I don't know what he was doing, but he would just, you know come in later so that was that was like the only accommodation they made but we still saw each other because we had meetings and trainings and whatnot can't like completely avoid mm-hmm. you know um and that's a nightmare that's a, yeah that's, i'm so sorry that's <laughs> yeah. the worst it, that's it so was re-traumatizing just, it, right like it was you know my worst nightmare and like towards the end of my service my uh boss was inviting him into our office and i was just like oh my god how can you do this you know um it was just, what, it was like every every door open, it was just like, nope, 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 nope. Would he try to talk to you, You're the the man mm, who assaulted you? No. Okay. No. But he was talking to everybody else about what he did. <laughs> um, and then I talked with a couple of investigators. Um, I had to, you know, obviously tell my coworkers, which was really embarrassing. Um, what was their response? Uh, they were supportive. Um, my first boss was supportive, but then I... Uh, I moved apartments just that I wouldn't have to interact with him um, and that boss was not entirely supportive I mean she pretended to be but later on down the road she was doing a lot of stuff that um, I don't understand why people do stuff like this but like she marked me down on my um, em- employee performance report the EPR um, the only way you can get written down is if you do something wrong if you if you've been written up, gotten paperwork, and I had done everything, everything I could to do my job, and she wrote me down, like, marks me down, and I 
later found out and I said, you know, why? Why'd you do this? She's like, you know what you did. I'm like, I do? <laughs> what? I mean, can you tell me what I did? Because I really don't know and I don't think I have amnesia. So like, mm-hmm. what am I missing here? And so she uh, she got nervous and she talked to our commander, an officer, like the highest ranking person in our, in our group. And she said, you know, Rachel's going to get mad about this, but she knows what she did. <laughs> And so I walked into his office, and I was like, I'm pissed. I'm sorry, but I've been working my ass off. Why was I marked down? Like, I've not done anything wrong. And he said the same thing. You know what you did. I'm like, can somebody please show me some paperwork of anything? And there was nothing. There was nothing at all. <laughs> like, she couldn't provide it. Not She couldn't. Like, there was nothing. And it was just infuriating to, like, you know. That was, like, the last of one of the things that had happened. Um... So I think to kind of backtrack, I'm not sure at what point this happened, but they actually put me in rehab. <laughs> yeah, which was just kind of like, I didn't feel like I had the um, right to, to tell these people, like, no, I'm not doing that. Because you kind of have to, like, follow orders. And if you don't, then you're just, you know, you're you kind of getting down. Right, they you're going to get in trouble. Culture. Yeah, and even it's just if- kind of like, so... Um, and the, I think they usually do it in a group, but for me, they did it individually. But at the same time, I had to go to these meetings with other people who had had alcohol-related incidents. And so they would go around the room talking about how, oh, I pissed off the roof and got in trouble or blah, blah, blah. And because I was the only woman, everybody wanted to know, like, why are you here? And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I'm not going to, no. no. I, and the twice they did that. And twice I told them, hey, what are you doing? Like... I'm going to this meeting. I don't want to be here, but I'm going. And people were, like, outright asking me in front of everybody why I'm here. Like, it just felt really, um, like, they just had no clue what they were doing Mm -hmm. or what I was going through or anything like that. Yeah. It's really violating, too. (laughs) Right. And just so mishandled. I know I've always had a lot of experience with institutional betrayal. And, yeah, it sounds very familiar. Um, So... I'm struck by how they're essentially punishing you. Mm-hmm. What happened to your assailant? Right. Did yeah. they punish him? Did they investigate? Did they... No. I mean, nothing Nothing happens. They actually eventually told me that I wasn't raped, that I was, that it was um, indecent assault. And... <laughs> Um, and then they, the, I was, wow. I remember talking to a lawyer like after I'd finally, I was just like, I was so done with everybody. I was like, I hate all of you. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. you know, I was, I wasn't really advocating for myself a lot. I was doing everything that they asked and I was just still like so uh, disappointed. And I, so I, I remember sitting down with the lawyer and just telling her like, are you kidding? Like, how can you tell me that I wasn't raped? Like he admitted to taking my clothes off when I was unconscious. Like, come on, you know? Um, so she said, well, there's nothing here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, I think that that was the day that I um, I went home. I was renting a house with my boyfriend at the time, and we had a little fire pit. And so I, I took all my uniforms, everything, except for the one that I needed to go to work, and I just I burnt them all. I was like, I, I just, no, zero respect for Everybody who's handled this, I mean, it was just, um, it was just unbelievable that they could say that, like everything that was happening. Um, yeah, it was really, really difficult. Yeah. And when you say that the lawyer said there's nothing there, do you mean like the Air Force didn't take down your report, essentially? They did, but uh-huh. she said that there was nothing to prosecute. 
as in like there was there was no case there was nothing she could do um because they didn't classify it as what it was right and even still like I was I remember thinking well okay so he assaulted me and then (laughs) are you still just not gonna let this guy you know like he should be punished for assaulting someone like uh, it's just a, it was just so odd. Like all of it just didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And being only 22 years old, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I've been all these authority figures just mm-hmm. discredit everything that you're saying. Yeah, and I want to trust them. I want to believe that they're there to help me because they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just really felt like they were working against me. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part was that I couldn't quit. <laughs> if it was a normal job, I would have left. You know, like you could just walk away, but you're just uh, you're stuck there. You know, so for how long were you stuck there after? A year and a half. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Excruciating. Right. And I think that's kind of um, to like segue into the boat. That's mm-hmm. why I just want my freedom. I don't want to sign any contracts. I don't want, um, you know, people telling me what to do. Like with landlords, like you can't have your dogs. It's like, screw yeah. you, I'm going to have my dogs. Yes. <laughs> So, Jen, I have a little bit of a confession. I'm ready. I have bought, on many occasions, things just because the packaging was super-duper cute. I am in the same boat. I've done that way too many times. And I hate to find out that sometimes the products do not work. I know. I have so many half-empty hair products because nothing I've tried has lived up to its promise. Until I found Living Proof. Oh, yeah. Living Proof is the bomb. Their hair products are fantastic. And they're actually backed by science. From frizz to damage to fullness, Living Proof products do exactly what they claim without any of that extra gross stuff like silicones or parabens or animal testing. Ugh, no thank you. I've actually been using their award-winning dry shampoo because I found out you're not supposed to shampoo every day. And so it actually helps keep your hair dry and healthy, you know, not super oily. Like, for example, if you go to the gym, your hair gets a little greasy because you've been sweating. You know, just rinse off, dry shampoo, live your life. But the best part is, Living Proof does not just mask oil and odor. It actually removes it completely from your hair follicles. It's really no wonder they've won eight Best of Beauty Breakthrough Awards. So do what we did and make the switch to Living Proof today. Just go to livingproof.com survivor and use promo code survivor to get a free sample of their dry shampoo with your purchase. That's livingproof.com survivor, promo code survivor for a free sample of the dry shampoo. I use it. It's amazing. With your purchase. What did it feel like when you were finally separated and for two months you probably had to walk around and tell everyone, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, mm-hmm. I'm leaving? <laughs> what, what, yeah. I guess, what were, was it a mix of like rage, relief? Like, what was it for you? It was so many emotions. Like, in my mind, I was so ready to just get away from these people forever. And I kept every uh, station that I had to stop in would be like, well, you never know, you might want to stay in because life might happen. And I'm like, it did. Yeah. <laughs> life happened and I hate you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like so, sucks. Right. And you guys made it that way. So, um, yeah, I heard that a lot. Like, I lost count of how many times I heard you might want to stay in. And I was like, I-, I was on my own for two years without you guys. I'm pretty sure I'll be okay. Yeah. I don't need you to hold I my hands. and like, you. Yeah, right. Seriously. So I got that a lot. And I, I just... You know, I knew. I was like, you're wrong. You're mm-hmm. like, you're just, you're wrong. Don't get it. You don't <laughs> right. get what my experience is. Yeah. You never have. Yeah. So then, re- yeah, 
relief. Yeah. Yeah, it felt really good to... Uh, I still stayed in Vegas because I was um, in a relationship with a guy, but um, just being free of them was, like, really liberating. And I actually, within six months, I got orders <laughs> to return. What? They can do that? Right. I didn't know that they could do that. Nobody knew that they could do that. They have this weird, like, push-pull exercise that they call it, where they pull people back that have been out six months and people that have been out two years, and they just want to know how much they know about their jobs. But the whole time, this is in 2007, like right when the economy is crashing and all this stuff is going on. And um, all of us were just convinced we're like, we're going to be sent to war. Like, what's happening? You know, because this was just so weird. Nobody heard about it before. Um, and after that happens, because you do, um, when you sign up, you sign up for eight years. You have four years active and four years inactive. And at, at that point, I decided I'm just going to let my inactive status just go. Like, after the four years, I don't want you guys to be able to, like, have any kind of say in what I do. And in, in your time since being separated from the Air Force, do you find anyone coming out of the woodwork and contacting you? Or do you still hear about situations similar to yours that are still happening? It seems like every four years there's some kind of scandal. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, the military has all these problems with sexual assault. I'm like, yeah, no, duh. Yeah. You know, this has been going on forever. And they say they change it. And all the stories I hear from these women coming forward, I'm like, that's exactly what they did to me. Nothing's changed. Nothing. Yeah. Well, I have been told um, that things have changed recently. Like, I did meet somebody, a, a man who was uh, in the Army who had been assaulted. And he not only got time off. But they sent him to a, a center where he could get help for, like, six months. <laughs> I couldn't even go to therapy. Like, they would not—I had to be suicidal to go to therapy. I couldn't go to therapy. Like, they—yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was—that made me feel better. But at the same time, it's kind of like the guy who assaulted me is still active duty. So then it's like, where's the justice, you know? Yeah. So um, I hope things are getting better. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a big system that I can't control, you know? So— it's still so prevalent. Yeah. Um, so what have you done to recover since you mentioned they didn't let you go to therapy? Yeah. And so I'm sure when you're living and you're sailing, you've had a lot of time to yourself and yeah. time to heal. Absolutely. So uh, when I was in college, I tried to go to, the, uh, to, to therapy, but um, I was still convinced because the VA is kind of, I mean, it's separate from the military, but it's still kind of the same so I was convinced like man if I go to therapy they're going to tell me it's all my fault and why would I want to do this so it took me a couple of years just to even do that um, and I found a really great therapist but every time I tried to um, work on that some family stuff would come up and so it was really difficult just to get to a point to where I could like really focus on it um, and it actually didn't happen until maybe 2014 um, I hadn't thought about like when I was in college I was working retail and everything was fine but then once I graduated college and was working in an office, I hadn't really thought about what the triggers that I would have. And I was having a lot of them. After like three years, it was just getting too much for me. Was it like having a boss or having an office and coworkers and stuff? Or what were the triggers that came up for you? For me, it was um, there was a change in management at my last office. And it was like these two women were just trying to let everybody know that they were in charge. And so they would have these meetings and change policies and not tell us. And then I would get in trouble. And so I would just be, like, they would call me and yell at me for, like, five minutes. I'm like, mm-mm, nope. <laughs> so one day, um, after, like, a week of that happening, I just went into HR. I was like, I can't be here. I'm going to leave, you know. Um, and, and I did. I just left that day because I was like, I cannot. 
Uh, I told myself if I'm in, in this position again, I'll quit and at least I have the freedom to do that. So, yeah. Um, and then I started, um, there's a, a process that the VA has called CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started that with my therapist as I, like when I quit my job, I thought, oh, this is like the perfect time to like get through these issues. Um, and then it's interesting because as I was, I mean, I kind of look back at it and kind of think that I was like going to the gym like all pretty and stuff and I just didn't want to break a sweat and I'd be like oh good workout you know like I was kind of doing it but like not really (laughs) (laughs) that's a good analogy (laughs) yeah Yeah. and then um and then I I had a couple of uh like acquaintances who um had gotten this job on a boat and they said hey you know like do you want to work with us and I said sure and then the very first day like two hours into my shift I was severely injured and that kind of like mimicked everything that I'd gone through in the Air Force which Mm -hmm. brought like a lot of stuff out that I just didn't realize was still there and that's kind of like when when the healing began of just trying to find something more have you guys heard of Save a Warrior they're here in LA no actually what is that it's um it's a program for veterans dealing with PTSD and it's like a week long um retreat basically for them and it kind of teaches them like how to deal with their triggers and Mm -hmm. like ways to heal and all that stuff so I had gone on that um, they rarely do female uh, cohorts because <laughs> they just don't know how to deal with the women. Yeah. Like they have the men. Par- <laughs> Sounds the like males. that's a theme there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they knew. Like they had the males down, but when it came to women, there was just always these issues. But our our uh, cohort, you know, we did really well and um, kind of set me on a path of like finding other ways to heal. Like it taught you know we learned how to meditate, which was really I had tried, but I'd never really. Like, I didn't see a benefit to it, and I wasn't feeling any different, but I'm also not very patient. So it's like, if I don't feel something right away, I'm like, nope, this isn't doing anything. got to try something else. Yeah. And also, they don't have, a lot of places don't have trauma-sensitive meditation. Right. Right, yeah, which exactly. I just learned about recently. Yeah, they had a very specific way that they would do the meditation, which gave me something to focus on, so my mind couldn't, like, wander, yeah. which was what I had a really hard time with. Same. So, yeah. <laughs> I get that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that kind of um, set the path. And then uh, we actually ended up doing two other cohorts with, with the women. Um, but we went to a horse ranch in Texas, and Save a Warrior sponsored it, which was really amazing. Um, and there we started doing um, just these exercises that it's kind of hard to explain, and it sounded really kooky. But, you know, when you're out there, it's like, what else are you going to do? I'll just give it a shot and see what happens. Um, so it was kind of like uh, systemic constellation, which I don't really know how to explain it, but it's kind of like energy work. Mm. And um, that kind of opened up, you know, other other um, aspects of healing that I had just never really thought about before. Yeah. 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 I love that. I see an energy healer also. It's yeah. It's incredible. I know. Yeah. It's made it's such got a big me difference. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. There is so much, you know, energy right. is matter and it's hidden in certain places of ourselves that we don't know. And, exactly. Yeah. So. And I, every time I had these retreats, I would get so sick. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just like all my bottled up emotions like coming up because I never get sick. But every time before we had this retreat, it would be the same thing. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. this must be like, you know, something's something is going on here. Like there's changes happening and I can feel it. And yeah, yeah. stuff that had to be blocked just to survive is mm-hmm. now coming up. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Right. That makes right. sense. Yeah. And so now you live on the boat yes. with your two dogs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and you write also. I do. Yeah. Yeah, writing has helped me a lot. How'd you get um, into writing? I think just as a way to, like, deal with with life. Um, 
I can't say I've consistently had a journal, but when things have been really tough, it's just so much easier for me to get through the day just by being able to write. And it gives me something to focus on, and then I'm not just, like, down in the dumps. And, um, yeah, so I, I do that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So after you separated, was that the first thing you did? You just was by an awesome boat. No, I wish. It took me a while to get there, but um, I went to college. Okay. So I moved to Arizona to go to college. Um, and then after six years in the desert, I was really ready to get back to water and like fresh air and stuff like that. So um, I went to San Francisco and then had a, just a really difficult time finding somewhere to live. One of my friends had mentioned that her um, sister-in-law was living on a boat in Seattle. I was like, what? People do that? <laughs> so he was in Seattle. I didn't know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, I guess it's a houseboat. It's different, yeah, but, close. But you're right. But yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, it was totally foreign to me. I mean, I knew that there were sailboats, but I didn't realize people lived on them. So uh, the more I researched it, the more I was like, oh, you know, I, I might actually be able to do this. And I was only planning on doing it for a couple of years. But um, I just ended up really like sailing and being on the water. And how many years it is it, has it been? Seven. Seven? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and where? what water do you usually travel? Are you mostly Pacific Ocean or Pacific. all over? Okay. Yeah. When I go on vacation, I do try to get out on the water. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And you love your alone time. That's one thing I love. I read your blog and I was <laughs> yeah. like, yes, I can relate to this. Um, and that's yeah. a really, it seems like you've found a way to set up your life in a way that you need and it's yeah. for your own, you know, peace and beauty and sanity and everything like that you right. know and I know it probably wasn't easy but yeah you know. it was definitely a struggle in the beginning and it I I do somehow this just kind of like fell into place I, I if I had tried to create something like this I don't think I would have been able to but I saw an opportunity and I kind of you know I'm like oh my gosh like the more I found out about sailing and living on a boat the more I was like oh my gosh so I can do this yeah and now my boat is like my safe place and my my dogs are you know my kids and it's just um like even if I uh, lose it at some point, at least I had it and it's there and it's, you know, mine and nobody can take it away from you or say, like, you don't, you know, this never happened or whatever. It's just something that I've built for myself that I'm really proud of. I've never worked so hard to make something happen before. So, yeah, it's really rewarding. Yeah, it's very impressive. It's so impressive. Yeah, but it took a while, you know, like... Um, in the beginning, I didn't even know how to really use the drill. And, you know, I am I know for a fact because people told me that uh, when they saw me around the arena, they're like, oh, she's not going to last. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, ha-ha. Yeah, right? Like, you don't know me. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. And do so. you, what, it, what have you found in the sailing community is, you know, is surprising, I guess? Do so you run into a lot of the same people at different uh, Yeah, or? actually. So it's, um, it is really tight-knit. Okay. I really love the community because everyone's very supportive of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, cause when you're out there in the elements and you need help, like everyone's going to help you. Like it doesn't matter who you are, how much they hate you or whatever, like you're going to help that person. So that aspect is, uh, really, um, endearing, I guess. And just in my trip from San Francisco down to Mexico, I've run into a lot of people that I know, which I'm like, oh, wow. Hey, how's yeah. it going? <laughs> Funny to see you here. So yeah, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I, for some reason I imagine it like you're both just on your boats waving as you pass, but yeah, uh, you know. everybody waves. That's so Aww. fun. Yeah. Any boat that you pass, like doesn't matter if it's a fishing boat or whatever, like you just, you always wave. It's very courteous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really amazing. Do you see yourself long term on yeah. the boat? Yeah. I can't see any other way of living. Like this is just too awesome. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. 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 And it sounds like you found more of a culture that's similar to what you're experiencing in England, mm-hmm. right? Like- yeah, exactly. Right. Very supportive and um just fun loving and you know, everybody just wants to, you know, go sailing and have fun. So it's like oh, I can you know, be 
see that. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy for you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Survivor. If you did, tell a friend about the show. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe the cover art of this podcast. You'll find the episode notes, including some details you may have missed. Such as our show email address. We love hearing your stories. They encourage us a lot. So you can reach us at isurvivor at wondery.com. That's I-S-U-R-V-I-V-O-R at wondery.com. This has been I Survivor. This episode was hosted by me, Wagatwai Wanjuki, and Jenna Brister. Audio engineering by Sergio Enriquez. Sound design by Bay Area Sound. I Survivor is produced by Leah Sutherland. For Wondery, the executive producers are Marshall Louie and Hernan Lopez. Hey, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich, a show about the occasionally outrageous behavior of people who have a lot of money and a lot of feelings. On our next season, we bring you a story that combines sibling rivalry, high fashion, and murder. Gianni and Donatella Versace built one of the most iconic fashion labels in the world. But when Gianni gets shot, it's up to Donatella to step out from behind her brother's shadow and try to save the brand they built from ruin. Subscribe to Even the Rich, The House of Versace, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.